I'm Jeff Smith, and welcome to The Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people, and many millionaires to find out their secrets to success and to share them here with you. The amazing thing I've discovered is that successful people all follow the same 11 steps. Some of the people I interviewed were aware of the 11 steps and some were not. But incredibly, they all followed the same 11 steps anyway. I wonder if you can identify the 11 steps of success in the amazing series in this podcast. Of course, success is not always measured in money. And in these programs, I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity to keep on going. And I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too can implement the secrets of success into your own life. In today's program, I'm talking with Perry McCarthy, the first and the original Stig from that great BBC program, Top Gear. Perry was kind enough to invite me to his beautiful home in Essex, where he actually cut lunch for us, and then we conducted this interview. Perry McCarthy is an ex-Formula One racing driver and best-selling author of the book, Flat Out, Flat Broke. I talk with him about his life as the Stig, how he was selected for the job, and Perry goes on to reveal many secrets from the iconic and mysterious character on the world's most loved TV motoring program. Perry also talks about his life before and after the Stig, including his time in Formula One and the trials and tribulations he endured to get there. He then combines his famous sense of humor with his experiences of rising to the top against all the odds in one of the toughest sports on the planet. During our chat, I ask him some soul-searching questions. And at one point, you'll hear Perry becomes completely overwhelmed with emotion and he sheds a tear as he recalls a time when he was totally crippled with fear while he was driving on the racetrack. He then goes on to explain how he went back into the pits, gathered his courage, suppressed his fear and to attain what he describes as the greatest achievement of his life. Let's go over and listen to that program right now and welcome Perry McCarthy. Today I'm with the most famous, unknown and mysterious character on world television. And there's only one way to introduce this character correctly. Some say he was kidnapped at birth and raised as a Shaolin monk. Others say, when he urinates, he emits pure sulfuric acid. All we know, he's called the Stig. So today I'm with Perry McCarthy. He's the original Stig from Top Gear. Thank you very much for joining me today, Perry. Thanks, Jeff. 
So obviously I want to talk to you about your life as a stig, but I also want to talk to you about life before and after the stig. But let's talk about Top Gear. You were the original stig, dressed in black. So how did the idea of the stig get started and how were you selected for the job? First I knew about it was I wrote a book, my autobiography, which is called Flat Out Flat Bro, because it described all the trials and tribulations of my career and the stunts and the laughs and the disappointments and everything else. And um, we had a, a, a super book launch party in London. So I had a lot of friends there, including Jeremy Clarkson. So Jeremy and Andy Wilman, who's the series producer of Top Gear, were both there. But Jeremy came up to me and said, hey, listen, you know, it's just about this time. We're thinking about bringing, in fact, we are bringing Top Gear back. Because back when I launched the book, 2002, it had been off air for quite a long time. So they said, we're bringing it back and we've got this real cute idea for you. So I said, go on. So they said, we want you to be this mysterious, quiet racing driver. You're going to be dressed in black, black boots, because black stick, first stick was in, all in black. Yeah. So black boots, black overalls, black gloves, black crash helmet, black visor. And we're going to call you the Gimp. <laughs> How did that go? I said, no, you're not. <laughs> and they were quite insistent, actually. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 no. I've been in motor racing by then for 20 years and nothing stays a secret. So finally, we turned around and they turned around and said, OK, it's going to be the Stig. And I said, OK, that's fine. And the Stig, both Andy and um, uh, Jeremy were at the same school. And they, when the new interns came in, like the first years of their senior school, you know, they were treated quite badly and made to do horrible things and they sure. got called names. And basically because they decided that every time the first years came in, they were useless, they, they got this nickname called the Stig. And Jeremy doesn't have a high regard for race drivers, so uh -huh. he thought the Stig was quite fun. And I thought, oh, well, anything's better than the Gimp. So I laughed and said, fine. Let's, let's do that. Let's do the and stig. stig. And the Stig it was. So on Top Gear, just how secretive was it being? Massively stig? secretive, yeah. Um, I mean, Jeremy always made everybody believe he didn't know it was, but of course he did. Yeah. Uh, Richard knew. Um, to begin with, James wasn't there in the first series. Uh, there mm -hmm. was Jason Dorr. I know um, Jason, Yeah, actually. Jason's a lovely guy. Yeah. Uh, so it's James and Richard and, and Jeremy. I like all of them, you know. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I mean, the, the series producer, um, to begin with, didn't know it was me. And, you know, the cameraman and the series directors didn't know it was me. And quite often, I'd put on a really heavy French accent. <laughs> I mean, so much so that rumours started spreading that it was Jean Lacey inside the car. <laughs> and I laughed about that because I thought, yeah, I could see Jean standing here all day long for the amount of money I was on. No, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> if, if you were clad in these overalls all the time and your helmet the whole time this is mm. all through filming yeah how did you eat well there were <laughs> yeah it's sometimes when there wasn't a lot of time to eat i would stand in line with <laughs> actually some of the audience at one of the burger vans that we yeah. had and literally try and drink a cup of coffee from underneath my crash helmet which was <laughs> a bit difficult um normally resulted in coffee going down my black overalls but other times i'd squirrel off and with a sandwich and hide around the corner and, okay. and eat something there all right then so i often hear about race drivers being on the edge of grip and taking car to these absolute limits of traction so what's the difference in doing a fast lap in one of the top gear supercar tests and a qualifying lap in one of your own racing cars well, with a quali lap, I guess that you're pulling, it's even more desperate um, because you're being so measured against other drivers who are out to get pole position. 
And in motor racing, you know, you're waving the flag. You're trying to say that you're special. You're trying to say that you're great. And one of the ways to try and get everybody's attention and create reputation is to be terribly fast in qualifying. So it's, it's, everything's on the table. And I mean, everything's on the table. If you think the same way as I do, everything's on the table. Okay. And, you know, without sounding too dramatic, I have in the past gone into some corners in final qualifying, not completely sure I'm coming back out. But then you rely on, you know, maybe a bit of luck, but hopefully a bit of judgment to get you out of it if it does go horribly wrong. On Top Gear, no, I was driven. I was kind of, you know, I wanted to get a real good time. Um, yeah, I've got my own pride and ego to say, hey, listen, I'm going back out. I want to get another point one out of that car. But I guess that underlying that, yeah, that was kind of like pride and you'll go to nine and three quarter attempts maybe. Uh, and in qualifying in motor racing, you're... you're 11 tenths. You're really on 11 yeah. tenths. Okay. It is whatever it takes. Okay. So before I came to meet with you, Perry, I asked some of my contacts on LinkedIn, Facebook, and other platforms if they'd like to ask a question of the stick. The first one is from my wife, Sharon. She asks, if you always wore black leathers, a black crash helmet, and were shrouded in secrecy, how do we know that you were the stick? Yeah, it could be a great con, couldn't it? One I've managed to carry on for like 15 years. You know, l- luckily enough, um, I, well, when I say luckily enough, I actually got blown uh, by a national newspaper after oh. the first um, series. Wow, how and, did that happen? Well, I think that um, they f- Top Gear, the program, fired somebody in the production team who actually knew it was me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I've put together anyway. And they went to the newspapers, got a couple of bob for, you know, but when I say a couple of bob, obviously some money um, for spilling the beans on the story. So we all kind of denied it, et cetera. But, you know, word was out. People could see, you know, I mean, even after the first show, I was getting texts from some drivers and some TV presenters saying, morning, Stiggy, because, you know, I used to fold my arms a lot at racetracks and I've got bandy legs. Yeah. And um, I can be a moody little what's-it sometimes. So they they kind of thought, that's Perry. Yeah. Okay, there's a section on Top Gear where a star drives a reasonably priced car and does a time lap of a circuit. You, of course, had the pleasure of teaching the star guest to drive the circuit before the time lap. So here's a question from Paul DeYoung. He works for Harley-Davidson. His question is, who were the best celebrity drivers you trained in the reasonably priced car and who were the worst? Well, the thing is, is that where I've got the luxury on anybody with Harley Davidson is that, you know, if somebody makes a mistake in a car, you've got a chance of getting it back. I wouldn't want to be instructing anybody on a Harley Davidson. But the, the main things to try, and I will say this to any road driver, is to say, look, you've got a job to do. And the main job about that is looking forward and concentrating and thinking. So that's the first one. The second bit is that while instructing them, you're trying to calm their energy down. You're trying to calm the energy of the car down. Because if you're just smashing it into a corner and upsetting the car under braking and turning, you, you, you know, these things are balanced on four springs and you're setting up too much energy and, and you're not looking after the car or the platform or the tires like that. So I'm just trying to say, look, we need to go fast. But what we're trying to do is to do that very smoothly. So we need to be ahead of the car. So no matter what speed the car is going, 
You need to be faster than the car. And again, saying this about road drivers, the moment you're going so fast that actually you're behind the car and you're trying to play catch up, then that's too fast. That makes sense. So what we did with Top Gear and what I certainly did with the Steiner Reason Price car is to just over a series of laps, just build them up a little bit, try to nibble away at their mistakes. And if we could close down on their mistakes first off, then we actually went faster. Now, some people listened better than others. Some people adopted the lessons better than others. And some people, for sure, had a little more experience or more natural talent than others. So for me, the standout ones for me was Jay, JK from Jamiroquai. Uh, but I'd been on track with Jay before. And Jay's quite quick. Mm-hmm. And he's, uh, uh, he's a bit of a tiger, actually. He, you know, he's, he's very keen to go fast. He loves a bit of speed. Technically, though, for me, the person who was actually not... She wasn't actually faster, but technically she was better, was Jodie Kidd. Okay. Yeah, the, the model, mm-hmm. you know. And Jodie always blames then her subsequent foray into motor racing on me. Um, which is quite sweet because she was, she, was, she was really good. She had a, a natural ability. Because she's used to speed sports playing polo, again, she, had, she was mentally ahead of the car. Mm-hmm. So she was quite relaxed and then just putting it all together to make a lap. So it's, if one is to try and make a very good lap, it's no good being double quick through turns one, two, and three and then messing up four and five. You've got to be quick for all of them and put the lap together. So... Jay was certainly capable of doing that. So was Jody. The worst ones, well, you know, is ill to speak of the dead, but she's no longer with us. She had three names, Tara, Palmer, and Tomkinson. Okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, let's put it this way. I think that she was kind of mentally somewhere else that day. <laughs> it's okay. the first time we had to lock the car up in case it followed the white line round the track on its own. <laughs> Um, so she wasn't listening too much and then you kind of lose enthusiasm for being in the suicide seat when somebody's not listening to you. So yeah, for me, she was the worst principally because she wouldn't listen and she wouldn't calm down. Yeah. Okay. Another question. This one's from Joshua Wardle. He's a police officer and he asks, tell him I'm sorry, whatever it is. I'm sorry. (laughs) I won't do it again. The wife was driving. (laughs) So Josh asks, What's the best car you've ever driven, and why was it the best? Oh, easy. Oh, sorry, we're talking road car. Anything you like. Let's do both. Okay, road car, uh, I bought a Ferrari 458 a couple of years back, and that is easy, easy for me, the best car I've ever driven. Not mm-hmm. necessarily the most expensive, mm-hmm. but the best car I've ever driven. What, for, makes, what makes it the best? Uh, stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would behave, it's the most similar in behavior I've ever experienced to a race car. Um, it was response was superb uh, brakes were great the thing just did what I wanted it to do you know to to, you know obviously you know to limits on the road of course because I'd never took it over 70 whatsoever Joshua is a policeman quite (laughs) yes I haven't got any points on my license my wife's got loads but um, I'm fine Um, so yeah Defo the Ferrari 458 uh, race car uh, when I was testing for Benetton yeah. Uh, probably because that's when Michael was, Michael Schumacher was there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I remember being at a track with Michael and I was testing the new Active Ride development system for that car. And uh, it was great being around Michael. That's super. But the car was, you know, I'd only just finished my year with the wonderful Andrea Moda car in Formula uh-huh. One that I was strapped into. 
that and after getting out of that thing a milk float would sound good but the um no that getting into the benetton was getting into a, a proper formula one car so that was amazing the williams was also obviously really good and i did mm. some testing for them yeah. as well which one would that be i think it's a 14 okay fw14 i think nice yeah I don't always remember these things. It began with FW. Yeah. I think they're saying to do with Frank Williams, but I've never worked it out. <laughs> okay, next question. This is from James Owen. He's an English teacher. What about Clarkson, Hammond and May? Can they drive? And which one's the best? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're all better than average. There's no question about that. Uh, they would have to be better than average because they spend so much time in the cars. Mm -hmm. So they've got a penchant for, for driving and they're all real keen on driving. That's great. Um, who's the best? I, honest to God, I don't really know. My gut feeling tells me it's probably Richard, um, because Richard's a little tiger as well. Actually, you know, mm -hmm. I just wish he would stop having these accidents because uh, it does worry me. Um, it really does worry me that he's going to really get hurt again. And uh, yeah, you see, I mean, all of them are bright enough to understand that they're not racing drivers. What they are are superb TV presenters who can drive. Mm -hmm. But once you start going really, really, really quickly with something, if something goes wrong, that that's when you know a, a bit of experience kind of helps out a bit. I'm sure. And but the other thing is, is that you can make things go wrong by not being a professional driver. You know, mm -hmm. just lining up slightly wrong, as Richard did when he was in. I think it was in Austria his last crash. Mm -hmm. Um, Richard had, was going very quickly, but he approached this left-hander on this kind of mountain bend completely incorrectly because he'd made a small mistake. I'd watched it on video. He'd made a mm. small mistake the corner before, which had put him in a wrong position for the next corner coming up, and it's too late. Then he just the the accident started 200 meters yeah. back, you know? Yeah. And that, that's the problem. It's mm. the one lapse of concentration, getting something wrong, and on the roads that Richard was driving in that car, goodness gracious, you know, that was, that was tricky stuff. That really is mm. uh, tricky stuff for professional drivers. So the, it all happened so quickly. Mm -hmm. But anyway, nonetheless, back to the original question, I would probably still say Richard. But, you know, it does make me laugh that James is called Captain Slow because he's not actually. Sure. He's, uh, he's, he's quite brave. He was in a, a Bugatti Veyron a while yeah, back yeah and he took that up to 250 miles an hour now i know what life looks like at those speeds mm -hmm. and <laughs> you know the easiest thing to do is take your foot off the throttle believe me if you don't have to be doing it so well done james on that one yeah excellent okay during your time as the stig on top gear what was your favorite moment my favorite moment was actually never filmed and my favourite moment was uh, Jeremy and Francie was there. Uh, Francie is Jeremy's wife. And they had the kids there. And they said, Perry, would you do us a favour? Like, you know, take the kids around. So I said, yeah, of course. So this is a bit naughty, but we had them both sitting in the front seat. But obviously, I'm not going to be at 10 temps. You know, and I need to look after the kids. So it's a bit of a joy ride. So to go a little bit quick, you know, 60%. So anyway, I'm in my full black stick gear. But it was quite hot. So I just had the visor open slightly, and we had the kids, both the kids, young kids, propped up in the seat so they could see out the front window. And I'd noticed at the corner of my eye that neither of them were looking forward. So I'm just going around, they're just looking at me all the way through. So uh, anyway, I dropped them off afterwards, and you know, in my French accent, in front of them said, I hope you enjoy that, you know? 
He must have wondered what have I been drinking. But anyway, <laughs> so Francis was smiling. Anyway, a bit later on, Jeremy's come over, cracking up with laughter. He said, you'll never guess what. I said, what? He said, oh, the kids have just come ring up to us going, mummy, mummy, the stick's got eyes. <laughs> and, that's, and that did make me laugh, you know. So that, that, was, that was kind of fun. I it really was. for babes. Yeah. I wonder what they were expecting. Some kind of cyber yeah. geek. It was, it was good working with Jody. I actually enjoyed teaching Jody. Um, that was good. And there were a few celebrities on there that I really liked. You know, I thought they were t- top-notch people, really trying. Yeah. So the overall thing of it was, uh, yeah, there was, there was lots of fun. Um, I guess, you know, my favorite bit was being in something real quick and taking it to the absolute limit. Um, and then finishing the lap thinking, okay, I don't think there's a lot left in that thing. So, you know, there was a little smile that you could go and go, right, okay, park that one. Yeah. I think we've polled it, you know. Excellent, excellent. So, what was your most embarrassing moment on Top Gear? Oh, I'll tell you something. I, it, it was, it could have been not just embarrassing, but it could have been blimmin' dangerous, all my fault. Um, I was in a Vauxhall VX220 giving some passenger rides. I can't remember why I was giving passenger rides while I was. And um, great little car, that VX220 thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I've come out of the second from last corner. I'm, I'm now going toward one of the hangers rather than taking the final corner of the lap. And I decided to drive straight at the camera, but then spin it, okay, right yep. in front of them, yep. and then reverse up to them. So anyway, I've, I've flicked the car. So I did it. You know, I can do that kind of stuff. Um, so now I'm going backward towards them having come at them quite quickly <laughs> and I've now flicked it and I'm now reversing towards them and I'm on the brake and it's not slowing down oh, and dear. I'm going straight towards them. I got to just the very last moment where I was going to just pull the steering wheel to just yep. because I'm going at the camera crew, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing has stopped about 18 inches away from the camera because I was thinking, no, I can do this. I can. It's still slowing down, but it wasn't slowing down quite as quickly as I thought. And I pulled up and I got out of the car and all these people were going, that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. That was fantastic. <laughs> now, of course, they can't see my face behind of the black crash yes. on it, right? So I'm just going, okay, thank you. Thank you. Like this. <laughs> Inside, I'm thinking, oh, for God's sake, I nearly <laughs> took you all out. You know, it's, I'm trying not, to, trying not to let them see me shake. I'm going, oh, my God, that was so dumb of me to have left it that late. But it looked brilliant. But... Believe me, they don't know how lucky they were. Indeed. Okay, how long were you the Stig? Well, we kicked it off in, I think it was September 2002. Um, just before September 2003, that's when we decided I wasn't going to continue because uh, I don't want to go long on this, but basically I wasn't getting what I wanted at BBC Top Gear. Uh, I did put a deal to them. I said, this is how we can go forward. Uh, they didn't want to know, so fair enough. You know, there's no gun up their head to uh, keep me there. And it'd gone past my attention span. I didn't want to just be doing this. Um, Now, if the conditions had been how I wanted them, okay, I would have carried on. But it had kind of gone past my attention span. And we did know that Stiggy had become really big by then. Mm -hmm. Um, But originally, we had talked about me being one of the main presenters. But because Stiggy was so big after the first series... They just want to continue with Stiggy, which I understand. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was very difficult to, you know, a lot of people think, oh, best job in the world being Stig. Well, it's not for me. Being a racing driver in 
the cars I was driving the championships I was in was the mm. best job in the world. Of course, yes. But this stuff, no, it was just driving, you know, and there was no way that I could exploit that position. Mm-hmm. So there were no further opportunities. It was just, that's the base wage. You can't talk about being Stig. I couldn't let anybody know uh, because I'd shaken hands on that. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. But of course, once I came out of being Stiggy, yeah, sure. Then I was able to um, exploit having had the fortune to be the first Stig um, on quite a number of levels. Right. Now let's talk about life before the Stig. Mm. Becoming a racing driver, entering Formula One. What you went through in your racing career, to me, was, frankly, unbelievable. Uh, Your book, your autobiography, Flat Out, Flat Broke, was first released in 2002. It's now been re-released because it's in the top 20 motor racing books of all time. Congratulations, Perry. Well done, indeed. That's a magnificent achievement. The book is a great read, and if I may say so, an emotional roller coaster i Thanks. was up and down on every page and i'm thinking oh no not again so flat house obviously refers to the racing cars and flat broke refers to your financial status at the time tell me about those times and just how hard they were flat out isn't just about being in the race cars it's an attitude Well, that's the end of part one, but it's not the end of this interview with Perry McCarthy, the original stick from BBC's Top Gear. Join us for part two of this interview, where Perry talks about his life as a racing driver, how he coped with fear on the racetrack, and his very emotional and amazing recovery. If you're enjoying the show, please hit the follow button to make sure you don't miss a single episode in this series. And of course, I'd love you to share it. It really does make a huge difference because without your help, we can't succeed. So please go ahead right now and click those buttons. I'm always searching for great success stories. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show with me, or you'd like to nominate a guest, please contact me at jeff-smith.com. I'd really love to hear from you. Well, that's all for me right now. I look forward to meeting you again on part two with the Stig. Thank you for listening and have a great day.